All right, so thanks so much for being here this morning, and uh, we're going to continue on uh, with our Holy Spirit sermon series. We started this two, three weeks ago, um, and then last week we took a quick little break to do Father's Day, which was fun, bacon, sausage, cornhole, tug of war. That was awesome, right? And uh, so that was good. Hopefully all of you fathers had a great Father's Day um, and enjoyed your weekend. And uh, now we're going to be jumping back into this Holy Spirit sermon series that we're going to do all the way through July. Um, in August, we are going to be transitioning a little bit here at Waynesburg and uh, preparing ourselves and readying ourselves for our move um, to the United Methodist Church where we're going to be sharing space with them on Saturday nights. And so, um, so that's exciting. Uh, that's going to be happening the end of August, beginning of September. Uh, we'll have the dates probably to you next week as far as when we're locking that all in. Uh, we've had a number of encouraging meetings. Uh, even this week, we, um, our leadership team at the Waynesburg campus got to meet with their staff and uh, it was such an encouraging meeting when we got in there and just sat down and just to hear their excitement for things. Uh, It's just so cool. I keep saying this, but I want to keep this in front of us um, that, you know, they were praying for a church to partner with before we even asked them, right? And and, and Pastor Fred and I just said, uh, they have the best building and they have the best location how cool would it be, right, if, if, if that worked out? And, um, and so we sent them an email expecting them just to kind of like laugh at us, right? And just be like, ha sounds great for you, no. And, uh, and that's what we were expecting. And, and their response was, we just got done um, as a board and as a staff praying for a church to partner with, and then we get your email. You know, and you're just like, oh my goodness. And so we came into that room with both of us with that type of faith and expectation and excitement. And, uh, and so it was so good. And their head trustee, we were talking, uh, all the other teams got to go with their counterparts to different areas to talk about how we're gonna share. And, and then I got to sit in with the lead pastor and then their head trustee and their executive pastor. And they just grilled me the entire time. Uh, and it was tons of fun. They had a lot, of, we, they just had a lot of questions and a lot of things. And so it was a blast. And, and uh, I don't mind talking and definitely don't mind making up answers every once in a while, so I had a great time, and so, um, just kidding, so anyway, so, so, you know, we were talking, and, and, uh, and it was awesome, the head trustee said, hey, listen, I just want you to know, this thing's not about money for us, right, I mean, come on, hi, right, the head trustee is saying, it's not about money, it's about having a kingdom heart, and seeing what two, two churches can do together um, for, for his kingdom instead of apart, and uh, I, dude, I just cannot wait, just cannot wait, so that's exciting stuff, so, all right, sermon series, Holy Spirit, so we started off a week ago, I'm going to recap a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to kind of uh, recap again with just a story just to kind of help us connect with it. And so uh, I, I know for us, um, in especially the American church, when we say the Holy Spirit, there's a lot that is um, contextualized with that. There's a lot that is brought with that. And we each have our own conceptions, our own ideas, uh, our own experiences that we attach to the Holy Spirit when we hear, hear that mentioned in church. And especially when you're in a charismatic church, there's things that come into your mind and things that you begin to wonder about about and have questions about and then as a pastor is saying hey we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit you say okay how quick do I need to get ready to leave right and so uh, there's those things that we're just like man it can get a little bit weird sometimes and and what I wanted to encourage us in is that that, that talking about the Holy Spirit understanding the Holy Spirit uh, understanding the person of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity is important for us as followers of Christ regardless of where we might fall on some secondary issues on, on the issue of the Holy Spirit being active and being real is important. And so, you know, even the other day, I, I love telling stories about my son, but the other day um, we were talking, actually it was yesterday, we had a lot of conversations, spent a lot of time with him yesterday, and, and, and they were, you know, all the rain that's going on and where we, were just, where we moved from in Missouri, they just had a lot of flooding happen there, and of course the flooding that's been happening in Texas, and so Braden was a little bit worried because where we live, it flooded in the late 90s as a result of a hurricane, and so He's like, man, are, are we going to get flooded out? You know, because like they had to have uh, cops come and get people in, in John boats to get them out of their house and stuff like that. He's like, is that going to happen? He's the one because that'd be scary too because that'd be cool. And so, you know, that's the way a 10-year-old works, you know. And, um, and so, so we're talking about, he goes, I don't understand. Like how does, how does a river flood? Like why did it flood right there where we live? Like that doesn't make sense. Like if it's a river, it should just be able to keep going and it shouldn't just flood and if it does flood why is it flood there and not at the end of the river 
Right? It's a legitimate question. That kind of makes sense, right? And so I'm trying to answer his questions and trying to help him out. And he's like, well, it's not like there's a wall where we live that makes the, flood, or makes the water stop, right? And I was like, well, I mean, not technically. And so I'm going through and I'm trying to explain everything. And, and he keeps coming back with these questions. And I, I don't know anything about that stuff, right? I, geology, any of like I, I'm whatever, right? There's a river, there's dirt, there's mud, there's fish. That's about all I need to know, right? And so there's other smarter people that can go into those things and and so he keeps coming back and I'm just like sitting there and finally at one point I was like, dude, it floods, get over it, right? Like, I mean, I was just like, I don't know what to tell you anymore, man. I can't answer your questions. Just get over it. And, 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 and that experience is just so true even sometimes for us, even if we don't have attachments of, man, the Holy Spirit's weird or there's some weird things that churches do when they talk about that, that, that gets to this place that I don't know everything. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me fully or I don't understand how the Holy Spirit works or how that fits into who the person of God is or further explains his character. And so sometimes because of those um, issues with us not fully understanding things, we could get a little timid or worked up when the conversations come out or people begin to talk to us because we don't know the answers. And we know they're gonna, if we answer that question, we know they're gonna ask another question. And if we answer that question, they're gonna ask another question. And at some point we're just gonna say, dude, I don't know, the Holy Spirit's there, okay? You know, and like, then it's just gonna be like, well, I just blew it. You know, I just blew this opportunity to, to be a witness or to help somebody grow in their faith. And so we know that. So a lot of times we just back off. We just kind of back off in the conversation and we just kind of resist instead of embrace. And so what we're trying to do as we go through this sermon series talking about the Holy Spirit is, is we want to shift our hearts and minds to a place that we say, I want to embrace the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to embrace God fully for who he is. And I want that to shape my Christian living and my Christian understanding of who God is. I want it to change everything about me. Jesus himself in John chapter 16, verse seven, he says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. And so if Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it's important, it's best for you that I go so the Holy Spirit comes, I want my understanding of the Holy Spirit to be at a place where I don't maybe have all the answers to the questions, but I can say, here's what I know and here's what I believe and that that I do not know, most nobody knows. And those things that are mysteries of who God is, those things that are mysteries of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to run from them in fear. I'm not going to buckle under the pressure of saying, I don't know. I'm going to celebrate the excellence and the mystery of who God is and all of those things. And I'm going to say, God is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And if we land at that place and if we find ourselves there, then we are able to see God impacting our Christian living and everything that we do. And so with that today, it's equally important, and I've even referenced it a couple times already, it's equally important for us to have a solid understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. Because the doctrine of the Trinity itself and understanding that can have a catalyzing effect on the way that we live out our faith. And so our understanding, it, it, it's a mind-boggling thing when you think of the Trinity itself. And, and, and they've been spending thousands of years now since the beginning of church trying to figure this thing out and how to articulate the best, the best that they can. And there's still things that we say we don't know. And, and so when you get into it, it could be one of those things that can cause us to say, I don't know, so I don't want to talk. And, and then you just start feeling your blood boiling because you're just like, I don't want to be in a place where I don't know. And you keep asking me questions. Ah! And you don't want to be at that place. Where we want to be at a place is to say, here's what I do know, here's what I do believe, here's what the church believes, here's where I stand on this personally, and all of these other things that exist out there that are questions that I don't know, those again show the mystery and the excellence and the power and the wonder of who God is. And I celebrate those things just as much as the things that I don't understand. And so there's this catalyzing effect that happens in us when we begin to understand and see who God is as one God in three persons. And so let me clarify and, and, and say uh, clearly what we believe as a church, what the global church believes when it comes to the Trinity, and then we're gonna pray and jump in today's sermon. So we believe in one God who, was shown, who has shown himself to be three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me say that again. We believe in one God who has shown himself to be three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and God has always been Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray in this moment, Lord, as we have this conversation, as we go through your scriptures, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will excite us, will light up your scriptures, will light up our hearts and our minds to draw us closer to who you are, to your perfect, majestic, wonderful character. God, to your love and to your mercy, to your power, to all of your mysteries. God, to cause us to celebrate you in a whole new way, to love you and worship you in a greater way. God, that the grandeur of all who, of, of who you are, God, that it just overwhelm us and amaze us and cause us to live our lives that much more focused on you, connected to you, dependent on you. God, we thank you for that, Lord. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the church itself has always affirmed God to be one God in three persons. From the very beginning of the church, the church has always affirmed that, and the church has always stood by that. It's taken a while to articulate some language. We're going to get into that in a minute, but the church has always affirmed that. We can see in many different scriptures, uh, though that there is not the words Trinity or even uh, when it relating to God and speaking of God and his character or his nature, you don't see the word Trinity in the Bible. You don't see the word persons. You don't see the word essence. You don't see the word uh, even three. Uh, so you don't even see those things on a very literal level. Uh, but as we go through scripture, and I'm not going to go through them all, but I'm going to go through enough here to really begin to uh, excite us and to help us see that this is something that is contained in all of scripture. It's something that's hinted at in the uh, New Testament. It's something that is more directly spoken to in the New Testament. And then we're going to give a little bit of application of how this impacts us and carries us out um, in our daily lives. And so though we don't see those exact words, we do see the truths in scripture of the unity of God, the deity of Christ. We see the personal distinctions among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see these distinct things. We hear the truths of the deity of Christ, the unity of God, and so uh, the plurality of God. We, we see these in, contained in scriptures. So I'm gonna give you some scriptures to see that. There are many, many, many more scriptures than what I'm gonna go through today, and some of you say amen. Um, but we're going to go through here just enough to give us some context and, and a frame of reference of how big this is and how this conversation has been going on since the beginning of time. And so to do that, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, this could be a complicated and really bothersome verse if God has just got some, uh, just some personality issues and he sees himself or talks to himself in the plural at all times. That could be, if you've ever been around the person, at the very least, it's nerve ending, right? It's somebody always refers to the third person or refers to themselves in the plural way. Um, you're just like, that's a little awkward and it's a little annoying. Um, or there might be some doctors that you need to go see, right? And so, uh, so there's that issue. Or it, it, it could just be the sense that, you know, some have even tried to wrestle with it in the sense that God is speaking as kings spoke, you know, and that kings refer to themselves in the plural because they're, uh, they're imposing themselves on everyone. And, and the problem with that is, is that this was written really before that time. And really those kings that do that really are more modern kings in the Western civilizations, not so much in the Eastern civilizations. So in the language context, that doesn't really make sense. And so when you see the plurality of God referring to himself in the plural, there's obviously there's something there that God is referring to himself as more than one persons. So as we continue on, we could even go back further in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You see the distinctness of the spirit of God being referred there as the spirit of God sustains and preserves earth. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 22, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. Again, referring to himself in the plural. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? And then you go back even a few verses in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. It says, They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. It's been understood by the church and theologians for thousands of years now that that holy, 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 when you look at that in the original text and you look at the original language that is there, that it is understood to be representing and to speaking to the trinity of who God is, the three persons of who God is. Psalm chapter 45, verses 6 through 7. 
Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. And it seems as if God's having a conversation with himself or God's having a conversation with somebody else who is God. Isn't that fun? Hebrews chapter one, verse eight further explains that verse. This is God speaking to Jesus as you read through Hebrews chapter one. God is speaking and and Paul is clarifying what God did um, on, on how God was speaking on giving the roles to the angels, giving his roles to Jesus. And he says this to Jesus. He's quoting Psalm chapter 45 and clarifying this for us. He says, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil, therefore, and then goes on and quotes the rest of it. We can see there that God is speaking to Jesus. You see a distinctness of their personalities. You see that it's not just God speaking to himself in his own being, that he's speaking to Jesus, who is God. Isaiah chapter chapter 63, verse 10. But they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. Again, you see the distinctness of the Holy Spirit. You see the individual person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Um, that, that is a personal action. It's a personal attribute. So again, you see that there. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16. And now the sovereign Lord in his spirit have sent me with this message. Again, you see a distinction between different people. So the Old Testament has multiple hints and it, it, it refers to these things in multiple ways, whether it's the plurality of God or making a distinction between the persons of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see this all throughout the New Testament and, and, and you, there's so many more verses that I could have included that we didn't even go through today that are there, that are present, that are helpful for us to see that this is something that is real and true. It's not something that's just been made up or reasoned or thought up at some point in history, that this is something that we've seen and understood in scripture, developed in scripture from the very beginning of time, that people themselves have had an understanding of this and that they've had a belief in this and that they've uh, tried to understand it deeper. And as we move into the New Testament, we see it further explained, further clarified, and we see this revelation come even clearer in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 through 17, Jesus says this, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. It's a sense, there's this longing, there's this always been this sense of there's so much more to God. And, and, and the people that were prophets or leaders or, or priests or kings or followers of God had a deep relation. There's this longing of wanting to know more of who God was, that there's, this, this, there's a greater sense of who he is and there's gonna be more of him revealed to us. And they were longing for it. And now the disciples are seeing it firsthand and they're seeing it there in front of them. And because of what Jesus promises later that we'll get to that Jesus is going to go away and that those of us today that we're going to be able to understand and see and and experience and know what they longed for in the past and that it's going to be clear for us and that even though we didn't get to walk with Jesus and eat with Jesus that we're still going to know and understand his presence and be in a real intimate relationship with him and that our faith that our opportunity to believe in that and walk that faith out is that much more real because we haven't literally seen him and heard him. And so this is a powerful verse showing us that the clarity of this reality comes out in scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses four through six. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is a source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Verse six, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. This is a fascinating verse that distinguishes the three persons of God and then clarifies them all to be one God. When you go through it and you look at this, the word um, that is used here for Lord, uh, it's koreos. Uh, that word there, it's generally applied to son. And you can see it multiple times. It's not every time in the New Testament, but many times. Generally, it would be assumed that this word is applied to 
God the Son. When it says Lord and you see this word, it's talking about Jesus. Now there's only about six to eight times that that is actually used in the New Testament that it refers to Jesus as the Son or as Lord, which is saying God. And, but this word, the counterpart Hebrew, the, the word in Hebrew that is connected with this word is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. And there's this connection and you see that Jesus is Lord. When you see the word here, God, that is the word theos. And that word theos is generally, not again every single time, but generally it is applied to God the Father. And so you even see here in the language that is talking about the very distinct persons of a triune God, that God theos, God the Father, that the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Are any of my theological nerds enjoying this right now? All right, if you're asleep or falling asleep, smack yourself or smack your neighbor, all right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're gonna hit this verse here in just a few more minutes in depth. But again, this is a verse that shows us very early on the referencing of the three persons by name in scripture. Jude chapter one, verse 20 through 21. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Now, let's move into real quick before we get into some practical things for today. Let's move into the Holy Spirit as a distinct person. So we could go a thousand different ways and we could honestly do a whole sermon series on the Trinity and and talk about that and break that down in so many unique ways. Since we are in a Holy Spirit sermon series, we're gonna focus on the Holy Spirit. One of the things that's important for us as we get ready to move into the application here in just a minute of how this impacts our regular daily living as followers of Christ, it's important for us to kind of think about, even as as I'm going through these, the language that we use for the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we unknowingly reference the Holy Spirit as it, right? We reference the Holy Spirit as a thing instead of as a person. And so it's important for us, and I want to go through and show some scriptures that shows the distinct reality of the Holy Spirit as a distinct person in the triune God. So in uh, John chapter 14, verse 26 But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So you can see here that Jesus is talking. So Jesus is there, Jesus is present, Jesus is talking of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is talking about the three distinct persons and he talks about the Holy Spirit and he says he will teach. That's a very personable thing. That's a personal attribute that he's gonna teach, that he is going to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us and told us. In Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19, when it says baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it says go and teach the new disciples everything I have commanded you to obey. It's again saying that I've taught you these things. You need to remember these things. The Holy Spirit is gonna help you to remember Remember them and to teach others these things. So these are personable things that are attached to the person of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed those things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God deeps, God's deep secrets. This is a, a marvelous scripture that we can understand just a, a, a fraction of who God is, but his Holy Spirit knows fully who God is, searches out all of the deep things of God and reveals them to us as we need them and as we are growing in our faith that the Holy Spirit teaches us and shows us these things. One more. Acts chapter 16, verse six. Now, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of, I don't know how to say that one, in Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysiah, they headed north in the province of Bithynia. I just made that up. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, I made up the pronunciation of Bithynia, I think. I don't know. Maybe it's right. I didn't make up that verse. I just wanted to clarify that. 
But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Verse eight, so instead they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. Again, this is showing the Holy Spirit leading, directing, guiding, shaping, moving the followers of Christ. That he has an active role, an active responsibility in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from Jesus, from God the Father. So the Holy Spirit exists in the triune God as a distinct person who is God. You follow me on this? So, where do we get this word Trinity from? Well, it comes from a, a combination of two words, tri, which means three, right? And unity, which means one. So, as I said earlier, the church from its inception has always accepted the truth of the Trinity of God. But you can see from the very beginning of the church that this was something that was taught by Jesus to his disciples before he left. You can see that the disciples, as they begin to teach the church, that they reference this, speak of God's nature as a triune God multiple times in their writings and in their teachings. You see that they understand that. You see around 45 AD or so is when they begin to write the New Testament scriptures that we have today. From, so at the time of 45 AD, all the way until about 95, 92, wherever you want to land on that, of the time that scriptures, the New Testament scriptures as we have them were concluded and written. That whole time, you can see through that entire span of time that they continually talked about and referenced and, 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 and directly spoke to the three persons of God. So you can see that all the way through those. All the way through a few hundred years later, around probably 280 years later, you see that the church came together. They were trying to form, uh, format their language. This is something they all understood, something they accepted. But many people had gotten to a point where they were trying to explain the Trinity. And in trying to explain the Trinity, they started navigating themselves and moving themselves into some heresies that were accepting things and believing things that are not true of God. And it's very easy for us to do. Uh, one example is some people try to use, especially in children's ministry, they try to use um, a couple of simple analogies to explain the triune God. So one of those is, is the analogies they try to use is water. Water can be three different substances. It can be water, it can be ice, and it can be steam. So those three different things that water can be can show that one thing, all H-T-O, H-2-O, not T-O, H-2-O, I told you science is not my thing, right? So H-2-O, uh, they're all the same thing, but yet they have different forms. So that shows that they are one thing. However, the problem is, is with that is, is those water cannot be those three things at one time. So it breaks down because that's not true, right? Or, or maybe you've heard it explained to you as an egg, that an egg has three parts. It has the shell, it has the egg yolk, and then it has the egg white. So it has three parts, but it's an egg. But that teaching can lead us to get to a place where it's saying that there's three parts to God. But there's not three parts to God. It is one God who has three persons who has revealed himself in those three persons. That when we get into it, it's, it's very simple for our thinking to begin to get to a place where we say, I understand it, here's a way. What we actually do is limit who God really is and we allow ourselves to believe something that is less than what God is teaching us in the scriptures and we can easily get into heresies. In fact, a lot of different cults and things that exist today, it happened based off of their misunderstanding of what the Trinity is and their rejection of the Trinity. Most people, when they reject the Trinity as it is, they get into trouble theologically and begin to believe things that are false. The Jehovah Witnesses, they, are, um, they uh, believe in uh, Arianism, which is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit were created. And so this came out of, in um, 325 AD, the Nicene Creed, there were multiple people trying to explain the triune God, trying to put it into a language that the church could just have as a teaching, because they all understood it, sensed it, believed it, but yet how they said it was unclear. So they're trying to say some different things. And so the Arians came up with this thing and they started to believe that Jesus was created and the Holy Spirit was created. They were not eternal. So therefore they were not a part of who God was that God had later decided to make them as part of his thing. Well, that is against teaching in scripture. We just went through many verses that shows that Jesus was present. You can see in John chapter one that the word was with God and the word was God and that all things were made through 
Jesus, through the word. And so you see that right there. You go through in the language, it's talking of Jesus. Jesus was there at the beginning of time. We saw in Genesis chapter one, verse two, the Holy Spirit was there brooding. They were three distinct persons there at the beginning of time before anything was created. God did not create them. Or you've got modalism. Modalism is, is that God reveals himself in three different modes. So it's one God who says, today I'm gonna be father. And then says later, today, I'm gonna be Jesus. And this says another point, hey, I'm gonna be Holy Spirit. And so you got this God who changes his hats all of the time and we don't want a schizophrenic God. So as we go through and try to look at it, there's some things that as, as we go through and try to explain it, we need to get at a place where we say there's things that we can understand. There's things that we can believe and then there's things that we will never understand and I'm completely okay with that. I said this when we opened up the sermon series, is that if we get to this place where we feel like we have to understand all of who God is, that is no longer God. You've created an idol and you are worshiping something else other than the one true God and more than likely it's yourself. So when we get to this place where we say, I I can't explain it, I can't understand it, there's literally nothing I can do. All I can tell you is, I have no clue, but isn't it cool that God is so big I can't explain him? Isn't it cool that the smartest minds in all of the world and all of history, that they could explain all of these things and make sense of so much, but there's still so much of who God is that we just can't even begin to scratch. That's the God I wanna worship. That's the God that I wanna give myself to. And so as we go into it, one thing that can't help you out for all of you math people out there, okay, this is not a one plus one plus one equals three thing. This is a one times one times one equals one thing, right? So God is one God who has shown himself in three persons, each a distinct person who is fully God, who has always existed. That's what we believe as a triune God. That's what we have believed, that is what the church has believed, that is the language that the church has adopted, accepted since 325 AD with an adaption about 40, 60 years later that they added that we don't need to get into, that that is what the church has believed and it's a good thing that it took hundreds of years and it's an encouraging thing, right? That it took the church hundreds of years to land on something that they said, hey, this is what we are going to communicate. Here's the language that we're gonna use. It's encouraging to say, you don't have to figure everything out right away. Right? It's encouraging to say, it's okay that I don't know this right now. I can just trust what I do know, and I can trust that God's going to reveal himself fully at another point. It's encouraging to see that, right? And it's also encouraging to see that the clarity of what God used to bring people together at a certain time, now almost 2,000 years later, is still existing in its language that we use to say, this is what the church, the global church believes. And that other sects and people of, uh, of people that have come and gone, when they come to issues and they don't accept the Trinity of God, that they've actually broken off from the church and they've become something else that does not believe in the fullness of who God is. So, how does this all help us? Earlier, one of the biggest things I said is, is that the fact that God is triune is to shape our entire Christian life and fuel our love for God. See, the, the fact that he's triune, the fact that he's one God in three persons, it should help encourage us and it should fuel our love for God and impact our Christian living. I'm gonna go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus is getting ready to leave and his disciples are standing there and Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen to me, here's what I want you to know. It is good that I'm going away because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna empower you. He's gonna help you. He's gonna encourage you. He's gonna remind you. He's gonna teach you. And he is going to remind you and help you to know that I am present with you always. No matter where you go and no matter what happens, I am there with you. Because if Jesus would have stayed, Jesus had an impact to be able to be visible, touchable, and and connected with a certain limited number of people. But now that Jesus is gone and he has sent the Holy Spirit, he is now God able to be with us, present with us in all things, helping us and encouraging us. And it is good to see and to know that he sends us and calls us disciples by the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
So it encourages us and helps us in these three ways. The Trinity helps us to understand Scripture at a greater level. I, I just can't even tell you this personally as I'm going through and studying for the sermon, and, and I went through so many more Scriptures than I even gave you today. As I'm going through, it's exciting me. The Scriptures are coming more and more alive. There's certain verses that I've always read in a certain context or a certain understanding, and then when I have this frame as God as three persons, this one God as three persons, and each being a distinct person in the Trinity of God that has existed at all times and at our God, when I look at it that way and look at those, those verses become different and there's, there's a, a illumination that happens in my heart, in my mind as the scriptures, I begin to understand things in a clearer way. I begin to see what God is speaking in a clearer way. I begin to see more, in a more clear way what God is calling me to do in the life that he's calling me to live and how he's resourcing me and strengthening me to live that life. I begin to see the clarity of this story, that it's not a hodgepodge of mixed lives that have been lived together, that it's one story from the beginning of time that God has said, I wanna be in relationship with man and I'm redeeming man and I'm calling man and we will be made perfect at one point and God's plan will come together in all things. It helps us to understand scripture. It helps us to love scripture. It helps scripture to be more clear to us. It helps us to understand things. It's, inc- it's important as I was talking about the distinctions, when I was talking about Arianism and modalism, why was it important for me to go into those things? Because when we begin to have a, a misunderstanding or we try to rationalize or understand the Trinity in a simpler way, like I was saying, we get ourselves into trouble theologically. So if you get into a place that Jesus was created, then the atonement no longer is possible. If God created Jesus then Jesus, how is he good enough, how is he perfect enough to atone for my sins? If he's not God, if he's just a created creature, how can he ever be good enough or powerful enough? He can't. It's not what scripture teaches. So Jesus has to be fully God. He can't be part God, he has to be fully God. And so when we begin to look at this and see this, we see the richness of who God is and the richness of scripture. We begin to see and understand Jesus was able to pay for my sins because he was fully God. He was able to do what nobody else was able to do because he's God. Not partly God, not created God, not adopted God, not as some even weirder theologies out there that Jesus was a normal man and when he turned 30, God said, okay, I'm gonna pick you and then decided to adopt him as God. Adoptionism, that's messed up. That's not what happened. Jesus was God, has always been God and will always be God. If you try to draw the circles and you draw these three overlapping circles like we've got up here on this graphic right here and it's bad theology that one's blue, but ignore that. Um, because they're all the same. But so you see these overlapping things. You see this, um, this symbol here to identify God as a triune God. You can't say, well, that circle's Jesus, that circle's um, the Holy Spirit, and that one is God, and, and this one's a part of God, and that one's a part of God, and it's, it's that one right there that's the Holy Spirit, that's all of God. And that one that's Jesus, that, that's all of God. And that one that's God the Father, that's, that's all of God. They're all, all of God, all at the same time. And that impacts how we read scripture and how we understand scripture and how scripture speaks to us. Secondly, the Trinity enriches our worship and our spirituality. The Trinity, I could do a massive teaching on this and I'm not, and I might just retweet another guy who um, taught on this recently at another church, um, understanding the Trinity and how it impacts our prayer, our prayer life. Understanding the Trinity, understanding and knowing the Trinity, it impacts our prayer life, that we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. That because God the Father loves us and he's perfect, that he has a will for us and that he is sovereign, he's in control of all things, that he's our provider, he's our caretaker, he's our friend, he's our lover, he's our Father. And because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross, we are able to pray to the Father in the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, who is God, is present within us and gives us the words to speak, gives us the heart to speak, and Jesus, who is there interceding for us, gives us the ability to speak to God the Father. And it, it impacts and changes our prayer life. So when you think about it, you're just like, great, that's all, you just said a lot of words, I, I don't know how that really impacts my prayer life. It impacts your prayer life this way, that when you pray, God hears you. When you pray, God is listening. Why is God listening? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is in you. 
And he's in you because Jesus has redeemed you and claimed you and adopted you as his own. And God the Father is listening because he's claimed you as his child. It affects your prayer life because God is listening. And when you begin to understand that God is not just distant, that God may or may not be listening to your prayers because of how good you were or how bad you are, that God may or may not be listening to your prayers because he may or may not have something more important going on, that's all messed up. You say, no, God is God who through Christ has redeemed me and gave me relationship with him and in his Holy Spirit is present with me at always. God is always listening. God is always there and he is always hearing your prayers. And that should encourage you. That should strengthen you. That should build your faith up and it should cause you to say, I want to pray more. I want to be committed to following him more. It enriches our worship and spirituality through community. It helps us to love Because we see God is perfect in his love. We see that God exists perfect in three persons, in community, existing perfect in love. That there is no issue, no discord, no distrust, no anything in God, the triune God. There is no discord in that community, in that relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see perfect love. And we can know that that perfect love is extended to us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that we are able to love in that power as well. And it impacts how we live together. It impacts how we function together, which then talks about unity, right? That we're able to be unified. Jesus himself, he prays in John chapter 17, I believe it is, that Jesus prays that the Father, he's praying to the Father and says, Father, I want them to be known of the unity that I have. We're supposed to be known by the unity we have. We're able to have unity because God is a perfect God who exists as three persons in unity together as one God. We're able to know unity in our world, know unity in a greater way than we even experience it today. And in fact, the church needs to continue growing in this. Pastor Fred did an amazing job speaking last night, talking about where we are culturally and the things that are happening culturally in the sense when it comes to diversity and race issues and all of these things. And in the church, we have massively failed at these things. We have massively failed as being known as a church of unity. Instead, we've been known as something that causes discord and disunity instead of being known for unity. That when things of issues that come up with our brothers and sisters of Christ, no matter where they're from or how they look or what they do or how they speak, any of those things, that we've been known to separate ourselves and segregate ourselves instead of saying, no, they're a brother and sister in Christ. And God doesn't see color, doesn't see race, doesn't see any of those things. He sees their heart. And that's what I'm supposed to see. And the church has failed at it. And right now, there's a conversation that's going on. Pastor Fred spoke about this. I'm not gonna go in depth into it. You need to listen to that podcast. But even right now, the conversation that's going on with the Confederate flag and all of that stuff, there are facts. There are things that you can point out and look at and you can make an argument. As a follower of Christ, you don't need to be known for knowing things and standing and saying, I'm right on these issues. You need to be known for unity that says, I fight for love and people knowing the fullness and the goodness of God's love. So maybe I know some facts about this and I could challenge your facts that they're probably wrong Um, anyway. If you're standing for the flag, you shouldn't. But anyways, whatever, we're gonna get into that another day. You can talk, listen to Pastor Fred's podcast on that. But there's things you get into it. Maybe there's some factual things that are present or true about why a flag can fly, where it flies, or what it means for somebody else. But the truth of the matter is, is that for a lot of people, it means something that is very hurtful. It means something that has brought and destroyed families and homes for generations. And as followers of Christ, we should not stand for factual truths that we maybe could argue We should stand for the unity of who a person is in God's eyes. That's That's what we should stand for. That's what we should focus on. We should stand for unity because our God exists in perfect unity. We should stand for love because our God exists in perfect love. We should be able to understand and function in community like nobody else. The world should look at the church and say, wow, look at how well they live together. Look at how well they love. Look at how good they are at doing good things in this world. That is amazing. There's no way they're able to do that amongst themselves because look at the world. We're falling apart. We should be able to say, no, the church is unified. The church is extending good. The world is falling apart but right now we've failed and we've got to turn that conversation. 
And don't get caught up and upset and, and frustrated by the conversation that's happening right now. Don't get caught up in the emotions of the conversation. Use this conversation as a catalyst for the good of who God is. The unity and the goodness and the perfection of our triune God and the mercy that was extended to us through Jesus Christ. Let this conversation be one that shows the church unified, strong, and loving people well. Change the conversation. Stand strong in community. And with this, and lastly, the Trinity reminds us that we are sent on mission by understanding the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit, as we read here earlier in Scripture, is sent to guide us, to identify us, to show us to be God's, and to bring conviction into the world and to prepare us for the judgment that is coming one day. So as we were just talking about love and unity, let's trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna do his job when it comes to conviction and judgment. Let's just love people well, let's not judge people well. Right? Let's stand in unity, let's stand in love for people. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is guiding us and the Holy Spirit is convicting and he has sent us to be witnesses in this world. There are things that we do need to stand for that come in complete conflict of God's holy word. And so when it comes to things, as Pastor Fred even said last night, I love the way that he said it. When it comes to things that helps us to be standing in unity, that doesn't affect morality, we fight for those things. But when it comes to us being able to have to lessen our stance on morality and lessen our stance and our understanding of who God is, then we have to stand against those things. And so as many of you know, the things that even happened on this Friday, the church has got to do better in love and unity and loving our neighbor, which includes those that are in the LGBT community. We've got to be better at loving those people. We've got to stop with the stupid posts that are showing us as hateful, disrespectful people. We've got to stand as people that show love, grace, and mercy. That we understand that their sins are just as jacked up as our sins. That they're in need of Jesus just as much as I'm in need of Jesus today. We've got to understand that and that's where we've got to communicate from. But we've got to also understand that we cannot accept things that are against God's word and against God's teaching for the sake of looking unified. So on this issue, when it comes to homosexuality, and again, everybody keeps saying, and I love this, Matt Chandler said this, why does the church have to keep making this the main conversation? Why do they have to keep singling out the sin? The church isn't the one singling out the sin. The world is the one that's pushing this sin in the forefront of our conversations. And as leaders in the church, as followers of Christ, we have to speak to what's in the forefront of our culture right now that's against the word of God. We've got to stand for what is true. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, you should know this. Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. He, the Holy Spirit, has been sent so that we can be witnesses in the world. To stand for what is good, to stand for what is holy, to stand for what is right. The Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us The Holy Spirit shows us as we go through God's holy word who he is. The Holy Spirit enlightens us, strengthens us. The Holy Spirit will take words that are in the deposit of our hearts and our minds in moments when we can't even remember that we've ever read it will remind us of what we need to speak and what we need to say in moments that we can stand for what is right and what is true. And he will help us to do it with love and mercy and compassion and goodness because that's who God is. And so as we look at this and as we understand the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is true. The Holy Spirit is God. 
The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is one God, who has existed always. And his Holy Spirit is in us as followers of Christ to help us to love, stand in unity, to be a community that helps others to look and to recognize their need of Jesus Christ. And he helps us to stand for what is right. And he helps us to do it not with arrogance and pride and hate in our speech, but he helps us to do it with love and mercy in our speech. So as we wrap this up, I want us to be encouraged that we have God present with us at all times. Man, in moments when things seem like they're falling apart, in moments when I seem like I just don't know what to do, God is with me and I can pray to him. I can pray to him because his Holy Spirit is in me. And his Holy Spirit's in me because Jesus has paid the price and has given me the victory that I did not deserve. And Jesus has allowed God, the Holy Father, to adopt me as his child. Man, I wanna go and I wanna do what God's called me to do. I wanna stand firm when I need to stand firm. I wanna let go when I need to let go. I wanna live a life that causes people to say, God is real and God is present. And you're able to do that through the Holy Spirit. Father, give us the strength to walk out of here today claimed as yours. God, help us today to stand firm in the faith of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. God, that you are making us strong. That you are making us brave. God, that this world, it's ending and there's chaos abounding. This is not a moment for us to panic. This is not a moment for us to run in fear. This is a moment for us to stand strong. That your church in this moment is gonna be clarified. That who you are is gonna be clarified. God, that we just today saying that you are a good father, that that is not gonna be put into question because of the way the world is moving, but that is gonna be further clarified in our hearts and our lives. God, that this church, your global church and even this local church, God is gonna be able to stand more clearly on who you are and you yourself are gonna be revealed in greater ways as the times move forward. God, let us not hold our heads low, not us doubt in this moment. Let us stand firm in Jesus Christ and be strengthened in your spirit and the power of who you are, that you have called us to be witnesses and that your word is true, will always be true and will always reign true. And what you said is gonna come true is gonna come true. God, we hold true to that and we look to you and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray and ask that you empower us, that you equip us, and that you convict us, and that you strengthen us, and that you send us to be change agents in this world. Lord, we thank you for it. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Go and change your world. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week.